Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Solomon succeeds his father on the throne, and I highly exalt this new king in the sight of all Israel and bestow on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. That's First Chronicles 29, 25, for Pete's sake. Just read the whole chapter, would you? Of course, Solomon is only the third king, but the third time's the charm, right? Well, it sure looks like it here at the starting edge of Solomon's reign, or at least if you keep tracking with Chronicles. If you stick with the accounts in Kings and its focus on throne room drama, you'll see that Solomon's first acts as king are to carry out his dad's wishes to settle the score with those who had betrayed him. That's 2 Kings 2, 13 and following. Chronicles rather tidily sums up the whole sequence with Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for Yahweh his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. That's 2 Chronicles 1, 1. Chronicles just packs a whole lot of activity into that word established. Solomon still young. David pointed that out as he was doling out plans as the justification for telling the next king so very much of his business. And to Solomon's credit, he realizes that he's on the green side and has the humility to own it. You see, not long after becoming king, Solomon spends a full day in worship to me, offering up a thousand burnt offerings in praise and thanksgiving. I am so pleased that this fellow is off to such a good start, seeking and worshipping me like his dad did, that I speak to Solomon in his dreams that night and tell him to ask whatever he'd like from me. After suitable acknowledgment of my great and steadfast love for his father David, and of my hand in making Solomon himself the next king, the young fellow admits to not knowing the first thing about how to rule so vast a nation. He says, I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. That appears in both 1 Kings 3 and 2 Chronicles 1. And you know what Solomon asks for. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. The biggest lesson you can take from Solomon comes from his acknowledgement that he doesn't know everything and needs my help and the wisdom only I can provide. You can pretend to folks around your workplace or elsewhere that you know a whole lot and are an expert at this or that, but that kind of smokescreen doesn't work with me. If either you or Solomon are going to fulfill your destiny and live out your greatest potential, you've got to plug into me as your primary source. Just as Solomon does here, you need to acknowledge that you don't know everything. You need to acknowledge that you need my help. You need to acknowledge that only I can provide you with what you need. Wisdom is just for starters. 
You need to acknowledge that only I can provide what you need to fulfill your destiny and be the person I designed you to be, to live out and enjoy the best of all the possibilities I've embedded within you. Go ahead and ask me. I'll answer you as surely as I'm about to answer Solomon. You'll get your own answer, of course, not Solomon's, but be on the lookout. While you chew on that and work it out in your walk either toward or on the way, let us turn back to that dreamy chat I'm having with Solomon. Now that I've trumpeted his humility in his acknowledgement that he needs my help, how is it that we respond to Solomon's perspicacious request? Well, so pleased am I in 1 Kings 3 that Solomon has asked for understanding, wisdom, and discernment instead of wealth, power, renown, or long life that I give him all of the above, great intelligence and insight, and great fame and fortune. However, it will come as no surprise that Solomon has a level of responsibility in the matter, and the condition I place on him should be a familiar one by now. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, then I will give you a long life. Especially as the king of my people, it will be essential for Solomon to stay on the way with me as he learns to flex his wisdom muscles on the people's behalf, something he gets to do straight away. This part of Solomon's story is what you remember from your childhood because of its surprising ending. You know, the two women fighting over babies. Of course, when you were little, they just happened to leave out the fact that the women are prostitutes. But when you think about it, that makes perfect sense. They're in the same brothel working together in a trade designed to lead to conception. They each have a baby boy within three days of each other. They each take the child into bed with them in order to nurse. As often happens, the nursing mothers fall asleep with their child beside them. As does not often happen, this time one of them rolls on top of her child and accidentally smothers it. When she wakes and sees what's happened, the woman who has just inadvertently killed her own child switches out her neighbor's live baby and slips the dead infant into the sleeping woman's bed instead. Then the, albeit accidental, killer feigns sleep beside the living child as if it is her own. It is an occasion of tremendous anguish, to be sure, and of tremendous deception, or at least attempted deception. Every mother out there knows they would know their baby from another's, and there's no way this ruse will stand. Hell hath no fury like a mom whose child has been taken and the uproar the victim raises makes it all the way to Solomon. And his just judgment in the case is why you remember the story from childhood. It's so shocking an answer, both in the extremity of the action it suggests, and in the efficacy of its flushing out the truth of the matter. So shocking that anyone who's heard it at least remembers this part. Solomon calls for a sword to be brought in and used to cut the living child in half in order that each mother may have an equal part of him. Naturally, the woman whose son it is loves him so much she would rather see him raised by the other woman, or by wolves for that matter, than watch him die. 
The other woman, in contrast, is fine with the equality of Solomon's proposed solution, revealing her true colors and identity. Solomon, of course, remands the boy to his rightful mom, and in doing so, uses an exclamatory double verb in Hebrew that would literally read, Do not kill him, do not kill him, but in your habitat serves as an intense, Under no circumstance is he to be killed. Turns out this verbal device is the exact way the baby's mom had pled for her son's life, too just in case you thought Solomon was detached and calculated about the whole thing. So, if you're going to seek wisdom from me as Solomon did, you've got to ask for it first. Then, the wisdom we are going to pursue and grow together in you is in many ways going to be like the solution we come up with him to this dilemma. Solomon finds a way to remove the problem from the she-said-she-said she said arena to the deeper level of heart. He turns the situation away from being a contest into a love detector. Even though there are definitely two options in terms of which woman is the boy's mother, Solomon shifts things from an either-or choice to an outside-the-box reality test. In the same vein, we'll help you step back from the passion of the instant to ask, is there another way to look at this situation? Is there love to be found here somewhere? We are not going to lead you down a path to think creatively just for creativity's sake, but in order to gain deeper insight. Frankly, that's all another season's worth to consider another time. For now, suffice it to say that Solomon is indeed wise, and Israel knows his wisdom has been given him by me, and they trust him and us because of it. There's practically a hymn to him in 1 Kings, uh, that would be in 1 Kings 4, 29 and following. It extols the vastness of his knowledge of nature, politics, music, enough to make pithy sayings known as proverbs, little nutshells of insight. There's a whole book of them right after the Psalms in the owner's manual, about 400 pages further on. If you want to start thinking like Solomon, take a chapter a day each month for a while and chew on them. There's even 31 chapters, so it works out nice and easy for you, well, seven-twelfths of the year. I recommend reading Proverbs 9, verse 10 first, then starting the book with that nugget in mind. In addition to our introduction of Solomon's wisdom at the beginning of his reign, the owner's manual also drops summary statements about the state of the nation at the time. The people are numerous and happy, enjoying a life of bounty and safety. David's reign has been dedicated to securing the remainder of the land promised at the commencement of the Abra plan to Israel, reaffirmed along the way as they escaped Egypt and then crossed the Jordan. For extra good measure, we make sure everyone understands what was made clear in David's reign, but in a much quieter manner. The promised land has been delivered as promised, from the northern edge way up at the Euphrates all the way down to the southern border with Egypt, and Solomon now rules over all of it. It is a covenantal linchpin, so please excuse us for hammering away at it a bit. David could not be the one to build a house for me even though it was his idea to start with, 
because his attention was always on his house, referring not to his domicile, of course, but to his kingdom. In order to have the wherewithal for so substantial an undertaking as the building of a house fit for the king, you've got to be able to make it your sole focus for over a decade. Not only were David's hands stained with the blood of his enemies and unfit to build a temple, his hands were busy at his borders for nearly all his reign, and unable to give me, or rather my house's building, his undivided attention. When he finally was at peace, he was too old to start something so substantial. Hence all his advice and support directed at Solomon, so he can hit the construction project running at the opening edge of his career. Construction we will finally begin next time on The Way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.